Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I am Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone once again from the comfort of my streaming chair. Um, I am not doing it live this week because, you know, not every week can be an emergency, but every week can be a special occasion. Um, And this week is a special occasion because I have your friend and mine, Coin Concedes, Ridiculous Hat, joining me on the show. Hat, welcome back once again. So it's it this is kind of it's it's kind of around the due date for your regular visit with our listeners and um we kind of had this planned out before we knew that a new set was announcing so I guess we'll we'll talk about that briefly but um this is kind of our regular um bef- you know meta's getting stale slash the new set is coming out talk about our feelings and or things that are um that that people need to be thinking about outside of the new set episode which is kind of a long title. The the meta reflection episode, can we call it that? Maybe a little meta reflection. But we're taking a different approach this time because there were five metas in the past expansion uh and it was it was complicated. Right. And and so a good thing we there was actually a really good conversation in the Discord like maybe 2 weeks ago um where where I believe it was Janos in the in the Discord was asking about like how do you improve your fundamentals, which is really important in this this set specifically, given how many different metas we've had, that one of the biggest things that you can do normally, what you can do is learn the meta. But since the meta is changing so much, one of the best things you can do for yourself is improving your fundamentals. So I started writing up notes, and then I ended up getting to like two or three pages, and then I said, "Hey, Hat, this sounds like something you might have some opinions on. Should we make this our episode?" So we're going to talk all about fundamentals in a little bit. For for the the two people who don't know you, want to give a very brief introduction because a lot a lot's changed for you since the last time that you were on the show. Uh, yeah, I used to work for a company that showed movies in uh, rooms with uh, closed spaces and recirculated air. So as of right now, I am a free agent of sorts. Um, my company still exists, but I d- I'm not, not doing anything with them right now. So uh, I am the, 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 one of the hosts of the Coin Concede podcast. I am one of the hosts of the Vicious Syndicate podcast. Uh, I stream five days a week. I am the THL commissioner. Uh, I tweet a bunch of times. I've been on the Angry Chicken last week. I'm going to be in the Angry Chicken next week. Hearthstone featured streamer, we should add. Hearthstone featured streamer, yes, we can add that. Um, I think transfer student is good design uh, uh, because you convinced me. Um, uh, what are the other accomplishments? Um, cheese, cheese aficionado? Yeah, uh, it's cheese, cheese enthusiast. Okay, fair enough. We don't. We don't want to go all the way into aficionado. Like you're not getting magazines yes. or anything. Yes, uh, regular mask wearer. If I have to leave the house, okay, it's pretty consistent. So th- those yeah. are all good things. Just general good person. How, let's we'll, we'll put it that way. How about that? It's, I will. I am quoting you to my wife, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Tell her I said so. So it's it, it's true because like everything that I say now is 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 a fact. So you know you can you can take that to the bank. Uh, they might not give you anything in return, but what? For the people who listen to your show, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, I talk into this microphone sometimes when I'm driving and sometimes when I'm sitting here in the streaming chair. And then I do uh, I do pretty pictures about data occasionally. Oh, I actually, we have a Master's Tour Asia Pacific tomorrow. So if you are, I should mention this, because if you are someone who is following that, I should... Before I go to bed, hopefully, knock on wood, have um, 
have all of the deck distributions up for uh, Masters Tour Asia Pacific online at uh, offcurve.com slash Masters Tour. So I, I do mention that at the end of the, of the episode, but given when a Masters Tour comes around, there's a little bit more interest in that than for a normal qualifier. So if you are interested in that, that's also, by the way, a really good way to get deck lists. And if I'm feeling up to it, I really should. I keep saying I need to record that video to show how to use the thing a little bit better. But maybe when I have some free time, which is <clears throat> that'll that'll be, you know, fifth and ever. But uh, anyway, do it. you should do it when you start your stream at some point. I, do it on stream. I, I should. But I have to change my whole stream setup because my stream is just set up to show Hearthstone. So I have to change my whole scene and everything. So it, it but I should do that. I, yeah. I should probably Even just, though it's you know, normally it's normally not your scene. Yeah. I mean, I should do that at some point, but I, you know, it's a matter of like how many people are going to sit there and watch me go through Tableau. Right. Like that's, you know, some people would be interested in it, but I don't know if I could get enough of an audience for that. But, um, one of these days I will do that because I also have to figure out how to make a YouTube thumbnail. And that that's actually one of the things that's keeping me off of YouTube right now is not knowing how to make a thumbnail, but it's another discussion for another day. But yeah, we got a new set announcement. Um, in addition to these, well, the patches, the patch, the balance changes in the patch we talked about because I had that emergency episode last week. And um, it seems like a lot of what we were thinking needed to come true, though. The Druid nerf seems to be a little bit more impactful than I thought it would be. Um, and people are still trying Demon Hunter, but they haven't quite figured it out yet. And Warrior's still fine. Hunter's very good. Priest is very good. Um, a lot of the mage decks are kind of coming around, even though Dragoncaster isn't there, because Spell Mage doesn't care about Dragoncaster. Uh, and, and some of, like, the Tier 2 decks are kind of coming back. So it, kind of everything that we expected would happen. I don't know if you saw anything over the last day or two quickly that is different than that. But So I played the three hours after the patch in Standard on Monday, and it was very strange. I saw zero priests, and uh, the majority class I saw was Hunter. Number two was Shaman. I feel confident in saying that meta is not reflective of what you'll see today. So I'm not going to speak to it with any authority. And today is Wild Wednesday, so I played Wild. Uh, I got Legend with uh, with a Chinese all-spell token druid. In I won six games in 16 minutes to go from 2.1 to Legend. Good lead. Good and Lord. two of those two of those were against spiteful hunters. I also do not believe that my experience was reflective of the larger Wild meta. I think spiteful people are trying to make spiteful hunter a thing and doing. I mean, doing can make anything work, but I know that that's been kind of the the thing that's been interesting lately, especially with the Grand Slam being a card that they can use. So um, it's that, been interesting, but they played spiteful summoner and then I played savager and they died. So yeah, that, that, that games sounds in a row. about like what would happen. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about what my experience with that would be. And um, but so that that was like the least interesting thing in the patch because we also got the new set announcement, which. Which is we're going to talk about very briefly. Um, Scott is it Scholomancy? I, I forget. I the word's too long. I, I forget how. Scholomance. Scholomance. Yeah, Scholomance Academy. Skol. Scholomance. I, I feel. I feel like this is a Duolingo episode. Like Scholomance. Go low man. Yeah. The the by the way, if, as usual, watch the full reveal trailer, not just the not just the cinematic. Because it is delightful as always, and and they're doing it. And then, uh, is that the first time that Alex really been in one of the one of the the full reveal videos? I know he's been like done a developer insights thing, but I think that's the first time um, he's done like one of the acting ones, right? I believe yes. Uh, like he did a card reveal video about Librams, where and there was the one where he was like good Alec and evil Alec. Yeah, I yeah, forget yeah. which cards those were. Um, but. 
Hadija has moved on from the Hearthstone team, so I believe Alec is stepping up to take to take that spot because I think usually in the acting videos it is Kosak and friends. I know that last time it's been Hadija for a couple. Uh, Jamara was in the Boomsday one, and then Val was in the was in the Ashes one. Um, but I believe that this is Alec's first appearance yeah. on the Kosak show. He did a good job. He was I was he was pretty good in that. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you should watch that just because it's it's entertaining. But the um, so the the main thing that well, there's a couple things that we'll talk about. One of them we'll talk about in detail because we're get it, we got it already. But the uh, the big thing is that we're getting dual class. Um, dual class cards. There are ten combinations. I'm not going to read them for you, but you can go into the into the set announcement and see them. Um, it seems like each there's going to be four cards for each dual class combination. I'm still trying to find out what the actual distributions are because that's kind of important for me for the Happy Hearthstone card review spreadsheet. Because um, I don't know what the rarity um, distribution is, but there's there are going to be legendaries that because there's at least one legendary that we got, and th- those seem to be um, kind of blending the two classes together. So you're going to be able to do a choose one in Hunter. You're going to be able to get Overload in in Druid. Um, there's a, a card called Devolving Missiles, which is arcane missiles, except that every every time it, everything it hits de- turns into a minion that costs one less, which I think is really interesting for Druid and Mage. Um, and these will all count as class cards, so they will work in Pure Paladin Zerosio. Um <laughs> And they and they won't activate Vendetta Future Me. Right. Uh, I, I, they made that change a long time ago to, to clarify from uh, non-rogue to another class. And I, I don't know if they were thinking about this that far back or not, but that's uh, kind of coming back now. I'm remembering that. Yeah, it's the it's basically like you ask every card, "Are you a rogue card?" Because if you're not, if you say no, then you must be from another class. And if you ask a rogue split card, are you a rogue card? It says yes. So Vendetta is only looking for no's. It's a little complicated. It makes sense when someone explains it to you, but there will be people that put these cards in their rogue decks and they don't work. Um, but yeah, the, the split class idea is really cool. There are there are ten pairs that we're not going to go card by card. If you want to know all about the details about the set. The Happy Hearthstone is the place for you where there will be card by card. And I have to imagine in the near future that also on this show you'll be going a little bit deeper on mechanics. Over on Coin Concede we'll be going a little bit deeper on mechanics. Um, we want to avoid uh, ADDing our way into a brand new topic when we already have two hours of content ahead of us and an hour and a half to do it. Um, but the design looks really interesting, and I'm glad they nerfed cards that, that would have kept the new cool stuff from seeing play. Yeah, and, and uh, there, there is a new keyword called Spellburst that triggers once uh, the first time that you've played a spell after that minion has been on the board. So there's an example is there's a, a minion that three four three mana two four three mana four two divine shield that has spell burst gain divine shield. So theoretically you play it the next turn you trade, you get rid of the divine shield, you play a spell, you get the divine shield back. Um, it only it only happens once though. So um, it's not it's not like a gadget Zan auctioneer type of effect. It's only the first time. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, the ones the uh, and you ca- you know you kind of expect that when you see the announcement, right? Like the ones that they're showing are really pretty straightforward to demonstrate, like the you know how the mechanic works or, or like the flavor of the set. And then you get into the more intricate ones as you get further into reveal season. So um, the reveals start on the twenty second, I believe. I think I just saw the. So I think it's the 22nd to the 29th is is the, we're going to be getting a lot of cards in that week, and then um, and the the final reveals on the 29th. So um, keep your eyes out for that. Happy Hearthstone 
um, should be we should have an episode out by the fourth. We don't know what the re- what the release schedule is, but I would imagine regardless, Andrew and I are going to plan to record that that first weekend of August. So you can look forward to that over at the Happy Hearthstone, where we go in depth to all of the cards. Um, we do need to talk about one card in specific in particular because we did get it today, which or yesterday rather when the, when the patch dropped, which is Transfer Student which um, has different effects based on which game board you're on. Um, so there are currently nine game boards in standard, and the, the wild ones only appear when you're playing wild games. There are considerably more, but there's um, a number four classic, and then there's one one or sometimes two. I think Old Doom has two um, for each set that comes out. And um, this was kind of... We, we, we were talking about this in your stream hat yesterday because... Especially there was a game that um, you got lethal with... I think one of them was like Battlecry Do Till da- Deal 2 Damage. Was that what it was? Yeah, that's the Orgrimmar board, which is one of the classic ones. It's just a 2-mana two 2-2 two two that deals 2 when you play it. It's a Cobalt Lackey, effectively. Yeah, and and we were talking about how tilted they would be, and I, and I pointed out, well, if that was Animal Companion, you rolled Huffer. That it would pre- it would be basically the same thing and 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 the interesting thing is that about this is that it, it's RNG based but you you know exactly what it's going to be at the start of the game because you can see it literally on the board yeah it's the way to think of this card this card is cleverly phrased it's a new wording on a mechanic we have had in Hearthstone since vanilla pick an outcome of this pool of things but it's done so in a way that we're not used to because what it's actually doing before the game starts it rolls a nine-sided die it'll be ten-sided after scholomance comes out it picks a number and that's what it generates the board on so now the same random roll is used to generate what does transfer student do but it's linked to a cosmetic thing so people are like oh i can't believe the game board affects gameplay it doesn't the random roll that happens before the game affects gameplay just like every other random roll in the game and also it, you know what the card's going to do. If it's open deckless in competition, then yes, it's a random roll. You can now look at that card and say, okay, this card does this thing. It's less random and gives players more agency, even though it is still a random roll. Uh, the, the place I've landed on it philosophically is if you have a problem with this card, you likely already do or should have larger problems with other parts of Hearthstone design philosophy because if you've ever cast a Sky Raider, you have had a more random card in your game. Uh, but... If you, don't, if you don't agree with Hearthstone's focus on some level of randomly generated variance, this is a symptom of that, but this is not the problem. And it, it's – people talking about the design, I think the design is very, very clever. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and if you don't like the RNG on this, wait, wait till you find out about Puzzle Boxy Oxeron because <laughs> you're really not going to like that card. But, I, I mean, I, like this has always been kind of something – like I don't think we want this to be a – a game with zero RNG, right? Like the one of the things that's always been part of the design philosophy from the beginning of the game is it's a it's a digital it's a digi- fully digital card game. You can do some of these random effects that you can't do in something like Magic the Gathering, where you're playing with paper cards and like the closest that they've gotten to that was like Chaos Orb, where you'd flip it over the over the um, the table and whatever it landed on would get would get destroyed, and then people figured out you could rip it up into confetti and then do that, which I mean do that with your paper cards fine but you know these kinds of effects have always been in the game right and and so there is going to be some randomness this is pretty controlled all things considered like the actual effect that you get is um it it, there's a fairly reasonable pool of it it's not actually that large of a pool 
and it's going to be a pretty straightforward effect that both players know at the start of the game. It's not like, you know, it's not like all of a sudden somebody's playing a puzzle box and it wipes your board unexpectedly. It, it's going to do something predictable that both players know from the beginning. Um, I mean, some of them do have some variants built in, like the one of the old Doom ones adds a plague spell to your hand. So there's a lot of variance in the realm between something like a plague, of, a plague of madness and a plague of death. Like those are two very different cards. But um, but in general, like, you know what it's going to do and you can plan for it. And I, I think that's good. Like, it's no different than if somebody top decks an answer. Like, that's something that you should expect because you know that that's likely to be in their deck. At the start of the game, it transforms to another card. You know what card it transforms into. It's shown to you. Uh, it is it is random in a way that I think is a better design than a lot of other cards. Looking at you, Ysera Unleashed. Looking at you, Puzzle Box of Yogg-Saron. Um, but if this card tilts you, uh, it's probably worth taking a look at your relationship with the game, as we've talked about many times. Because if this is the level of randomness you don't like, there's a lot more happening almost every single game in Hearthstone. Uh, and I would say that making peace with randomness is fundamental to how to how a player can improve at Hearthstone and approach Hearthstone. And and speaking of, we should get on to our topic because we've already talked for 15 to 20 minutes and we haven't even gotten to start the topic that we wanted to talk about. But I think that's important to talk to discuss because, you know, I, I don't know how how many people are there, but I know that sometimes there's things that we're thinking that are underneath the, the surface. So if this is bothering you, don't, you know, just make peace with it. It's not this is this is not the um, this is not the crossing the line as far as RNG is concerned. Um, so let's talk about fundamentals and, and, and this is going to be a lot of like how to get better at this game. And, and I remember like when I first started play, I start, I remember there was an article on like icy veins this was years ago. Ragnaros was still in standard. Um, because I remember them referencing Ragnaros as a card you needed to keep an answer for. Um, and, and it was called like, why are you, why am I losing at Hearthstone? And a lot of it was focusing around some of these types of basics and along with maintaining a healthy relationship with RNG and not blaming RNG for your losses. Um, those are the two things that I remember getting getting out of that. And so this is kind of the why am I losing at Hearthstone episode of this show. And, and a lot of these things are things that we've talked about on both of our shows a number of times, but this is kind of consolidating it into, into one place. We will have some links to some relevant episodes that you can go look at. Um, if you want to dig deeper into any of these topics, I also, as a reminder, um, if you're a newer listener, I have the starter pack, which is at offcurve.com slash starter pack, where I take a lot of these evergreen episodes and I list them by topic. So you can go if there's something you're you're looking to find, you can also find that there. Um, if there's something that I don't specifically list as a link in the show notes. But um, so let's let's start with, like, what are we what are we talking about when we talk about fundamentals? Because that's kind of a big a big word like where where do we start with something like this so fundamentals it's a great question because everyone has a different term for it uh and really we're going to try and define words uh just so we can have a common language about the game this is why you'll rarely hear people talking about tempo in the coin conceder off curve discord because the word means different things to every single person that talks about it uh and fundamental what is really fundamental Hearthstone? It, it it depends who you ask but we think there are three major factors, three major areas where a player can improve their game that we can dial down to this this skill, this skill, and this skill. 
and they are execution, knowledge, and mindset. Those are kind of the big three. Execution, pretty straightforward definition, right? This is technical play. It is the order you play your cards. Uh, Sequencing is is a big thing. It is targeting the right minion. It is making the right attacks. It is taking game actions in an optimal fashion. It is the easiest to be aware of when you mess it up. It is the easiest to look back on. Someone else can look at your your gameplay and say, oh, you, uh, you played a card before tapping and you would have played what you drew, for example. And sequencing, it's just a really obvious and easy way to mess up a game of Hearthstone. But execution is difficult, extremely difficult. And high-level players mess this up all the time. Players have missed lethal on the world stage, right? It's, it's hard to do. But it's the, it's the most basic. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, and it, really, yeah. really important distinction. And, and it's also a lot about getting yourself into good habits because a lot of sequencing is not just like the, the things that are obvious are like, you know, are draw first, right? Like draw first is, is something that everyone kind of hears early on. Like if you're if you're going to be doing something that generates a random effect or, or gives you additional information, you do that first just because it could change your turn. But but some of it is like understanding when things are likely to happen and then playing around those. And those get a little bit harder. I know that I forget who it may be. Maybe it's superior David who um, I was, who gets very, very tilted about positioning of the, of faceless lackey, because if you, uh, Dano, Dano talks about that a lot yeah. too. Cause like that's, that's one of those things where it can spawn a dire wolf alpha. And most of the time it's not going to there. There are what, like, like 152 drops in the game or something like that. But every once in a while it will spawn, uh, it will spawn a dire wolf alpha and that one damage can make a difference. So it's a matter of like understanding those types of things. Uh, you don't necessarily need to worry about those low level interactions. Those are more for high level players. If you're, if you're still just trying struggling with fundamentals, but like just understanding, like getting yourself into good habits it, it's not always going to pay off, but the times that it does, it's going to improve your, your win percentage a little bit. And sometimes improving your win percentage just by a couple of points is enough to get you to the next rank. Yeah. And something like what you just mentioned, Steve, with faceless lackey positioning, I would call that granular. Yeah. Uh, there is there's a lot that goes into execution, and you want to avoid things like focusing on faceless lackey positioning and then messing up a skip return and clearing your own board. Uh, it's do the do the big stuff. And the starter stuff before you get to the, the tiny details. But there are so many layers of execution uh, that this is the, the level one thing to focus on that most players think about when they think of improving. I just want to play my cards better. Yeah. But there's more to it than that because playing your cards better also is dependent on knowledge. This is awareness and game planning. Now, this is something This is being a student of the game. This can be watching streams. This can be reading articles. This can be sharing replays with other people. Uh, it's all about matchup experience of knowing how a matchup plays out knowing the agency you have in it, knowing the plan you're looking for. Because if you are playing Control Warrior and you are trying to outvalue a Galakrond Priest, not going to happen. They have a button and you don't have a button. Even if you have a Lysiana, you're not going to outvalue that Galakrond Priest. So you have to understand, okay, I'm the aggressor in this matchup. It, it gets better with a broader understanding over time. And with more experience, you're able to synthesize new knowledge faster. You can say, oh, this deck plays like this deck from the past, and this other deck plays like a different deck from the past, and so if I play them together, I want to be doing this thing. And you can get there a little, a little more quickly. Uh, but this can also be high-level game planning and low-level game planning. For example, one of my favorite examples from the last meta, if you are rogue and against Dragon Hunter, 
Rottenest Drake comes down in five, it's going to snipe something. Put as many lackeys in play as you can on turn five. That's micro game planning, right? You know turn five specifically this power spike turn. But if you're looking for a larger picture, your goal as the rogue is don't play defensively because they have Stormhammer and a lot of damage. You want to make a big Edwin or you want to get a bunch of minions on board and you want to pressure. Being aware of the role you play in the matchup and being aware of the specific power turns, this is all about knowledge. And you can learn about general high-level concepts too, like initiative, for example. can never talk about that enough. Yeah, I mean, and and I actually just put a link. We'll, we'll probably talk about it when we get a little bit more in detail. I just put a link to who, the Who's the Beatdown article from Star City Games that this is like, uh, it's. I think it's it's old enough to drink this article now, and but it's it's an important concept to understand like what your role is in the matchup and and even in that even the, on a particular turn like not even necessarily for the entire game but sometimes for a particular turn that that matters so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit too and 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 you can just kind of start with like not even necessarily like memorizing deck lists but even just like knowing what kinds of cards will will burn will blow you out in general from that class like what kinds of things they have available to you and just thinking about that before you take your turn um and and we'll get into that a little bit in a little bit more detail too and then and then mindset's obviously the the biggest thing once you get to higher levels like we i believe you've called hearthstone uh, an emotional management game basically and yes um in this meta in particular it, it like metas are I, I I've fought with Blister Guy enough on this, and I'm starting to come around to his point of view now that I'm getting you know older and wiser like he is. But that that metas aren't necessarily harder. But I think that like metas aren't necessarily harder or easier than each other. But I think that there's some some of them are more skill testing than than others, but not necessarily more difficult. But I think some are more mentally draining or mentally taxing than others. And I think this one is with the number of random effects can be very tilting if you allow it to be. Um, and and so understanding like when you're tilted and when you how do kind of maintain a positive mindset so that you can play more games in a row and have them be good games because just jamming a bunch of games if you're tilted is probably one of the worst things you can do but if you can learn to stave off that tilt or or work with that tilt um to the point where you can play more games before you end up getting there that's how you can kind of string the kinds of play sessions that you need to be able to play in order to grind up to legend because it, it is a grind um, it, it's a grind no matter what with the with the star multipliers now. Like even when, whenever you lose that star multiplier, the grind sets in, and the grind can get draining if you aren't maintaining a healthy mindset. Yeah, and I agree that like metas are not inherently more or less tilting, but players have different ideas as to what is fun. And if you're a control player, you are less happy with a jade idol meta than you are with a uh, with a. Well, I was gonna stay. I was going to say pre-Spellstone, but I don't know if anybody liked pre-Spellstone. Yeah, uh, nobody liked pre-Spellstone. Even I didn't really like pre-Spellstone. Yeah. I was playing it a lot. No. Um, but like a, a a Rin meta. A Rin meta, even though that was the same set. Whatever. The, the point here is sometimes there are theoretically control metas, and a control player is going to be happier with that and a lot, a lot less happy when Deathstalker, Rexar, and Jade Idol are defining the meta, whereas an aggressive player is going to be a lot less happy when Dr. Boom, Mad Genius is defining the meta. Uh, people respond to different things. People are at different points in their lives and different points in the world. So I remember feeling really, really negatively about kobolds and catacombs. And I look back at the set, like, it was high power level, but compared to what we went through with DOD and the beginning of Ashes, it wasn't really all that different. And my personal reaction was vastly different because I was in a different place in my life and with the game. 
and it's going to be a reflection of whatever you feel, which means mindset is the most important thing for you to enjoy Hearthstone, and enjoying Hearthstone is the most important thing for you to get better at Hearthstone, because it's hard to get better at something you don't enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. So so with that kind of preamble, I mean, we can start with, with kind of like the low-level execution turn checklist sort of things, right? Like these are the kinds of things that and, – and if you watch someone streaming, they're not going to do this a lot of the time. Unless it's a really complicated term because it starts to become like muscle memory. Like uh, like one of the things that, you know, pro professional quarterbacks talk about is the game slowing down for them um, because they, they know what to look for and they know how to recognize things. And you kind of get that as you do more of this and it becomes more second nature. But it doesn't happen until you start building that as an active pattern and an active habit that you're doing when you're when you're playing. So like things like. And, and this one of the hardest ones and one of the biggest ones that will 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 pan out for you is just taking a minute before you touch your cards to look at everything you want to do and figure out what your whole turn looks like. The worst thing that you can do unless you're in a situation where Nosdormu's on the board or there's a Gadgetan auctioneer and you need to be doing a lot of things all at once like the, the one of the worst things that you can do is start playing cards before you know everything that you expect to do in that turn. Um, so like one of the like one of the things that you can do is like and, and this like drawing first, we already mentioned that, right? Like if you have two mana left over and you're a warlock, you know, you should be pressing the button first, right? Like that's that's the first thing. Like and and that's how you know that. Like, that's one of my tells I know when I'm playing too fast, if I'm playing Warlock and I'm tapping last and I will make fun of myself on stream for doing this when I do it because it's just like that's kind of the canonical thing that you're playing. You're not playing right. Like, that's the 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 original sin of sequencing errors is is pressing life tap after you've done the rest of your turn because like that that card could change things. And so in general, you want to figure out, do I have any random effects? Those need to go first. Do I have more mana left over? Can I fit something else in? What is that other thing? Do I'm doing these three things. Now you need to put them in order to make sure that they're, that they're most, um, most optimal. Um, like, are there any random effects you need to trigger? Like, is there a, um, like a, a knife juggler on the board and you need to see where the knives are going to go before you keep going like all those sorts of things Sethic veil Sethic Veilweaver is a is it well Sethic Veilweaver is one where you're gonna you're gonna start the turn right away because you don't you're gonna need that extra time but but yeah, yeah. but yeah like that's so you want to play the Sethic first and then play all the spells so you get the value out of it and then you can see how that changes your um how that changes your turn like those types of things but but you really need you can't really do that if you don't know exactly what you want to do before you start playing the cards if you're if you're starting the turn and immediately playing the card and it's the first thing that came into your mind you're just going to start and go that's one of the big things that you can do to improve your fundamentals is stopping and thinking about everything else you want to do before you touch any cards yeah uh playing slower makes you win more and i'm not going to say that this is a personal attack but i'm going to say that sometimes i don't do this well same like I, I know, I know when I'm tilted, or when I'm not in a good headspace, when I'm just throwing cards down and I'm playing the first, the first yeah. thing that comes into my head. Like that's a tell for me, and that's when I, I sometimes I pay attention to that, and sometimes I don't. But like generally, like when you're when you're just throwing down cards, and and I do spend my opponent's turn figuring out what I want to do. But even then, you have 75 seconds. It's yeah, your opponent may start, you know, saying "come on" on the other side of it. But at the end of the day, that's good for you anyway. If they're if they're ending up getting tilted because you're taking your time, 
So there, you have all that time allotted to you. You shouldn't be intentionally roping, but you should be using as much of that time as you have available to you in order to, in order to make sure that you're making the most optimal turn. Yeah, and, and using your full time, it's not quite execution. It's not quite planning. It's a little bit of both. But you have to make sure that you give yourself the time to, to do both things. Now, sometimes, like you mentioned with Sethic, and this is absolutely a thing as well with Risky Skipper and Battle Rage, sometimes you need to start the turn quickly because you have a rough plan figured out and you need new information and animations take a while. So Skipper and Battle Rage is the sort of thing where if you spend 35 seconds thinking about your turn or 40 seconds and you start, you start jamming uh, when the rope goes, you will miss drawing some cards or playing optimal plays or making attacks or whatever. Uh, and being aware of that is important too. There's, there's a lot that goes execution is such a complicated thing and even though it's just play your cards in the right order you have to learn what the right order is you have to be aware of how to do the execution you have to have played the deck before you have to have an idea of the knowledge it all it all connects together uh but execution is probably the thing where maybe you benefit the most quickly from by reviewing your own replays yeah by looking back your own replays maybe and we'll talk about that in more detail on how to do that uh, towards the end but um, and, and counting is also important. I mean, we, there's, you know, ABC always oh, yeah. be counting. And, and that usually means lethal because that's that's one thing that you just want to make sure, like, is there any way I can end the game right now? Because missing lethal, it's it's not always a punishment, but it, you know, sometimes that one turn is all your opponent needs. And if you can end the turn, then that's generally, if you can end the game on that turn, that's a better play than anything else, obviously, because you win the game. But also count your mana and and this sounds like a silly thing but there's for one of the things that ends up screwing me and especially when i'm not playing shaman even when i am playing shaman but certainly when i'm not playing shaman check if you're overloaded like it's just it's a small thing and it doesn't happen a lot but like if you are doing any sort of a thing that's doing random spells just look over and see if there are any locks over there because if you get into that habit, it will it will save you from planning out a turn and then all of a sudden finding out when you're halfway through that you can't do the rest of it. Because there are there are cards like Dragon Queen Alexstrasza and Puzzle Box and um you know and well half the mage cards will just generate random garbage, but you know anything that that could potentially overload you or maybe your opponent played a mana burn and you missed it, right? Like pay attention to that and make sure that you're you have enough mana to be able to do what you want to do and like this goes double for enrage warrior because like one oh, it goes for enrage Warrior, you need an abacus <laughs> to keep track of cards in hand mana available number of damaged minions and skipper ticks yeah. and board slots it's so much math that deck is technically computationally intense but also uh, it's strategically intense. There's so much going on there, and your your decision trees are super divergent. Uh, yeah, it's really, really difficult, but I know that you and I have both done the time-honored play where you plan a play on your opponent's turn, and then you incorporate the card that you drew on your turn, the old half of both plays, except you can't cast both plays. Yeah. And then you get down to five spells played and two mana left and Edwin in hands like, oh, well, yeah. crap. Yeah, and and it's hard with, with a play that's really complicated like an Edwin turn because you're trying to fit so much in. And then you yeah. do have to start that one earlier, and sometimes you don't have all the time to be able to figure it out. But but as much as you can, kind of make sure that you understand, like, you know, what, what you're expecting to, to do that goes into planning out your turn and then making sure you have enough mana to do it all. 
it's it's very easy to um to miss that miss up on that and then once you do that then you've kind of given away you, you've you've generally wasted value because you're not getting all of what you wanted out of that turn and that could end up coming to bite you as well so that's like a very common misplay that you, you need to be keeping in mind but you know not counting for lethal is another one like and and i get i'm very guilty of this when i'm playing control decks because i just forget that i can hit face sometimes because i get so so invested in clearing the board but that's something that you just always do it just always look at you know sometimes there's a shortcut like if they're at 30 and you've got nothing on board yeah okay you can skip it but like if you have a bunch of stuff in hand and you have some some minions on board just take take the first five seconds of your turn add everything up and see how close you are and see if there's a way to get there and and that will help you win a lot more games than you were winning before guaranteed uh, if your hand generally can generate more than, say, five damage or so, if your hand can generate a number larger than five points of damage, I would say, uh, just do the math when you start, even if they're at 30, because you never know. Uh, it's it's not super difficult to do 30 damage in a turn in standard right now. Uh, if your deck plays Savage Roar and you start the turn with two minions or more in play, always do the math. You want to try and, and figure out how you can shortcut that. Yeah. Savage Roar, you, just, you add up the number of minions you have in play, you add one, and then you double it. So, because your face can also attack for two. Helps to make that a little bit quicker. Uh, and it's a lot of this as well is making, making sure that you're used to the kind of plays that. How much damage can my deck put out? We'll, we'll go back to Enrage Warrior again. If you know 100% after playing it that if your hand has... Corcron, Inner Rage, Bloodsworn, you know that is 12 damage, you get to skip doing the math. Yeah. It takes one second instead of 10 seconds. It, every single time, that is always 12 damage. If you know that if you add a Rampage in, that's always 18 damage. If you have these numbers, kind of, it's your times tables, right? It's your multiplication tables. If you memorize it, math gets faster. Yeah, and, and knowing how much reach you have in the deck... I mean, this kind of goes into the, you know, in, into understanding the deck that you're playing. But like knowing how much you re- how much reach you have, just kind of gives you something to shoot for. Like, okay, like you can plan for. I need to get them down to twelve because that's what Grom and Rage is, right? Like that. That's kind of the magic number. And and if you're playing against it, then you know the same thing. You know that that's the magic number you need to be playing around. And you need to understand if you're in twelve within twelve, you're in the danger zone. Like I, you know, going back to you know old man stuff. Like I remember fourteen was the big number for Forsworn because that was how much it did by by default. And then however much it was, you know, with the minions that were on the board. But if you were ever at fourteen or below against against a, a druid, you were terrified because they could just kill you from hand. So it's those types of things you just kind of need to be aware of those early those easy breakpoints. And and some of that goes with meta knowledge, but some of it also just kind of knows goes with knowing your deck and and just any way that you know the one one easy way that you can shortcut the math in general is just add up. It, if you're thinking about buffs and stuff like that, you're you're looking like like something like a savage roar. Just add up all the stuff on the board and then add up all the damage from your hand and and make sure to include your hero power. Don't forget about don't forget about your hero power also because that's not sometimes another extra damage or two, but. You just add add those things all up separately and then add them together because it'll save you having to figure out, well, this one is going to be four and then plus four is eight. Like, forget all that. Just look at the damage in hand and look at the damage on board. It'll it'll save you a lot of time. And a lot of what we're talking about here, this is this is experience uh, that we've gained through practice. Execution is the mode or execution is the concept that you can improve the most by by playing a bunch of games. 
you can learn this from watching other people, but you're going to get better at executing by playing a bunch of games. Now, as the great Jared Tendler said on the guest episode we had a while ago, you have three games, right? Your A game, which is your best game, your B game, which is your normal game, your C game, which is your worst game. You're always practicing one of those. So if, if it's like late at night and you, wanna, and you have a stressful day at work and you just want to play without thinking about it, if you're on ladder and you're jamming a deck and playing by muscle memory, you may be practicing your C game. You may be practicing things that are suboptimal, and you may be building bad habits for yourself. What you want to do is try and play in, in an active and mindful state, usually with the game full screen and your full attention on it and sitting up in your chair and, and so on and so forth, just to make sure the habits that you build are effective and can translate over multiple games, multiple decks. This, you get better with practice. You get better by playing more. But also you have to be aware of, the, of what you're missing, right? You have to kind of be aware of where you're making the mistakes if you don't know that you're making a mistake, but you keep losing and you post a replay and someone says, don't do this thing, it, it can become a habit over time, but you need somebody else to point it out for you. Uh, but this, it's, it's technical. This is technical stuff. And so that is best improved by playing a bunch. Uh, you still want to be intentional about it, but experience goes a long way here. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads us into kind of the, the game planning and turn planning phase of it because we talked a lot about just kind of the mechanicals and, and the, the sequencing and stuff like that and, and sequencing by the way gets gets difficult it always does like some sequencing things are easy some sequencing things are very difficult and even top players will have trouble with with figuring out what is the right thing to do in what order um but yet, then we get into kind of the planning and and planning goes from kind of the micro level to the macro level um like in in individual turn playing um, like some of those, some of the things that can just kind of help you. The first thing is just play your cards and spend your mana. Like unless you're playing a pure control deck, and and I don't think there really are any right now. Like Galakron Priest is as close as we get, and that's a mid range deck that's got a lot of removal. Really, when you think about it, um, like like Res Priest would probably be a pure control deck, but that's barely a thing. Um, uh, Bulwark Warrior. Bulwark Warrior. Yeah, Bulwark Warrior. Maybe que- I mean, even Quest Quest Warlock is still kind of. I, I guess that's closer to a control deck, but that's more of a combo deck anyway. But that's Freeze Mage. Yeah, I mean, but that Freeze Mage was really a control deck with a combo finish. Um, yeah, but you know, but you, you, know. you play it differently when you know you're going to conclusively kill your opponent versus when you're going to grind them into dust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fatigue strategies versus versus combo strategies. Here. Yeah. Um, but but in general, if you're playing any deck that wants to tempo, you, you're generally going to be better off playing things than not playing things. One of the big traps that players will get into is holding on to cards for value. Like some of them that, that you might be tempted to hold on to, like Sethic Veilweaver is, is a good one that sometimes you do. It depends on the matchup, right? Like if you're in a value matchup, yeah, you need to hold it. If you're playing against a Demon Hunter, play the Sethic on two. It is the best thing you can possibly do. Because sometimes the value that you're going to get from that just soaking an attack and effectively healing you for three is going to be more than just passing the passing the turn back and then maybe hero powering and then being further behind on board the next turn. And so the question here as well is not just what is my plan with specific decks, but how do I learn what the plan should be? And this is where being a student of the game is something that if you want to improve on a fundamental level at Hearthstone, it's not about grinding. It's about optimization. It's about making sure that you are playing high-quality games as opposed to a large quantity of games because once you have the execution down, 
it can still it's possible to play every turn in a technically correct order but not know what your plan is supposed to be and if you do that you are set, you're not setting yourself up for success it's entirely possible to be perfect at risk skipper and battle rage but not know that you're supposed to hold the coin to combo priest with grom and bloodsworn and if you don't know that then even if you play everything in the correct order it's not going to get you where you want to go so reading meta reports watching high level streamers that have this figured out a lot of practice etc cetera, etc cetera. um it's really about knowledge transfer and understanding larger concepts for your role in any particular matchup so i love the example you gave for sethic you have to know if you're if you are most decks have a plan a of what they want to do every game what they're good at galakron priest we can look at that plan a uh get on the board stick apotheosis generate more value than opponent has win game but sometimes plan b is don't die and that means you're running the sethic out there on two and sometimes plan c is murazon take the wheel and and that's just what you're doing and and one other one other thing that i've i that we should have mentioned in in the the execution in terms of counting is count your opponent's lethal too like are you dead on board yeah because oh yeah that's important <laughs> when you make really cool trades and then yeah. you set up for a two-turn lethal and then your opponent starts their turn does not play any cards and then you die yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or or even like not are you dead on board but are you dead to something that is very commonly likely to be in their hand right like are you are you likely if you're playing against a spell mage are you like dead on board minus five well they could have a apexis blast or fireball right so or have they played have they played maligos they could have the maligos fireball that's eight right so you need to be thinking about like even you don't have to go into like into like ridiculous combos or whatever like you're not gonna you're not gonna play around the uh the 26 damage puzzle box that i played the other night that that played a uh, a hellfire and in a grand slam on an empty board and a pyroblast to face and a heroic strike like you're not playing around that um and and if you are then god bless you but um because you can't play around everything but if they're if you're obviously dead on board or you're very likely to die that should change your plan that should change what cards you're playing to try to prevent that if you are able or at least set yourself up to maybe be able to make through the make it through the turn and maybe be able to heal up the next turn so do make sure that you're you're paying attention to what your opponent's doing on your, their side of the board and don't get so wrapped up in what your plan is that you're ignoring the fact that they could just kill you if you're not careful you can tell our perspectives are all about from dialing in on, on something that ended up turning out to not be important. Uh, that happens a lot. Uh, and with planning, with planning your games, it's very easy to dial in on specific power turns and say there was nothing I could do or they just had it. Instead of figuring out what should my plan be in this matchup, and there are some matchups to go back to Galakron Priest because this is off curve. Uh, if you are Galakron Priest against Highlander Hunter, you can have a plan for that matchup, which is hope a minion lives, stick apotheosis, and don't get rot-nested. But also, if you spend more mental energy than that on that matchup, it's probably a mistake, because you're, it, everything their deck does beats what your deck does. It's just not the sort of thing that you should invest that kind of time into. And don't go crazy looking for a plan when there isn't one. You can have an idea, you can have a rough concept, but there are matchups where you have agency, and other matchups where it's so rough that you're just really looking for high rolls. And, uh, and just maximizing the cards you have to hope you get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, th- this kind of goes into risk. Like and when you're planning out your turn or planning out what you're going to do, either it's a turn or if it's a full game plan, like how much risk do I take? 
Like that's always kind of something that's going to be a question that's going to be in the back of your mind. And and in general, the answer is that the more unfavored you are, the more appropriate it is to take a risk. So if you're in if you're a priest playing against Highlander Hunter, you're probably losing that game anyway. So you may as well take a risk. Because the downside of you of the risk not panning out is you lost the game, but you're probably gonna lose that game anyway. So you may as well try to win the game and take and take a risk and see if it works out. However, if you're um, you know sitting with a, with three or four minions on board and your opponent passes you back an empty board, should you play your puzzle box? Probably not. Right? There's no reason to risk losing all those minions when you're so far ahead and you have a catch up mechanism in your hand. Right. So like understanding how much risk is appropriate to take and like understanding like how much to load up on board um, with the understanding of what your opponent's likely answers are going to be um, are things that should kind of go into your turn plan. Um, But in general, like the more unfavored you are, the more risk you should be looking to take. Yep. Uh, If you if both of you play plan A and you lose that matchup some huge percentage of the time, then you need to be on plan B or plan C or plan D. You need to find a different plan. Uh, it's If we're going way back, if you were any deck playing against original Quest Rogue, Oof. congratulations, you are now an aggro deck. <laughs> it, it does not matter what minions you have. I do not care if you have one mana one ones and two mana one twos. Congratulations, you are now an aggro deck. Because so, if you don't pressure, you're going to die. So pressure with whatever you got. Find any minion you can play on curve, jam it, and go face. That is, all, that is your entire game plan. Uh, and it's really about the knowledge of the experience with the meta of figuring out what should my game plan be, how much time should I be spending on this matchup. And really, a lot of growth in Hearthstone is, is winning your bad matchups. That's really how you know if you've mastered a deck or if you've improved a certain skill set. If you go on HS Replay or Vicious Syndicate or, any, or Off Curve and any site that has stats, being generally aware of how a matchup is supposed to go and then saying, how can I be better than that number? How can I flip that number a little bit? Uh, and that can really help you show mastery of a deck and help give some confidence as well. Yeah, and, and we this, this feels like a monthly discussion in the discords where someone will come in who has not been part of these discussions before, and I'm not calling anybody out. It just it's it it happens regularly where they'll be tilted off the face of the earth because they keep queuing into bad matchups and they keep conceding, right? And so they can't get anywhere because they win their good matchups, but they keep having to concede all the bad matchups, and so they're not climbing. And then we get into this discussion about well, why are you conceding the bad matchups? Like play them. You're not going to learn how to win those matchups if you don't play them. And so, like, this is like, if you're, there are metas. It, the, the metas where you have a deck that's favored against everything else, you're actually 50% because everybody's playing that deck. Like, that was like Karazam Midrange Shaman or, um, or the, the Evolve Shaman in that, the Doom in the Tombs meta a few months ago. Like if every if there is a deck that is favored against everything, everybody's playing that, which means you're by default fifty percent. So you're never going to get that deck. So the best thing that you can do is try to learn the matchups where you're um, where you're unfavored and try to figure out. Like that's when you can experiment. If you can approach it with like uh, you're you're in the lab and you're just gonna you're you're playing with house money because you know you're gonna lose it anyway. If you can approach it with that matchup and you need to be really not tilted to get there because if you're already tilted, it's gonna be hard. But if you can go in with that with that mindset and say, 
okay, this is how I'm going to try to win this match. Let's see what happens. And sometimes you get there. Sometimes you don't, but that's where it gives you the opportunity to be able to try different strategies and see how they work for you. So sometimes they can be an opportunity if you look at it that way. We are getting into mindset ahead of time, but I mean, that's going to kind of happen, I think. But it's all mindset. mindset. Everything is mindset. Because the thing is, if you're not in the right mindset to learn, then you're not going to improve your knowledge. If you're not in the right mindset to play, then you're not going to execute well. Mindset is, it, it is the last thing that we were talking about, but we can just, we can jump into it. It's the most important thing. It, it touches everything else. It, there's not really any other way to phrase it. If you, do, if you view a game as a task and a rank as a possession, then, then Hearthstone is not going to be fun. Uh, because the game is the lesson. The game is the learning experience. The rank is an indicator of how your learning is going right now. And everything else is just, it's the window dressing of Hearthstone's really, really powerful addiction mechanics. Hearthstone is very good at giving you something and taking it away. And if you buy into that, it's very difficult to stay emotionally stable if you have a bad run and the game keeps taking things away from you. Yeah, and, and it's important to keep in it like it's important not to let the highs get you too high and the lows get you too low. Because like we've talked I, I feel like on every legend episode, how to get to legend episode, and this is kind of that too, but this is a little bit more lower level than that. But um we've talked about what a fifty five percent win rate feels like. And it generally feels really really awesome, followed by really terrible, because the win the wins in a fifty five percent win rate are not evenly distributed. And it, recency bias is a thing. So you're going to remember the losses more than you remember the wins because they're more recent and because you, you need like three or four wins to cancel out a loss emotionally. So you, you need to be prepared for losing a few games in a row and recognizing that you're doing that and having a plan for that, whether it be if I, win, if I lose three in a row, I'm taking a break or, you know, or, or, you know, looking at your stats or whatever it is. But you have to understand that, like, variance doesn't come evenly distributed. It comes in chunks. And you can go on, like, a five or six or seven game win streak and then fall all the way back down to the floor. Like, I've had multiple legend runs where I've gone to the final boss, gone all the way back down to the floor, and then gone up to legend. It happens. Um, and, and those were not the most fun legend climbs, but, you know, you persevere through them. Uh, so you have to be aware of that and, and be constantly like checking on your mental temperature to understand if you're really in a in a learning mindset, because like if you're going into it, not thinking about with a goal, like having goals is good, but having results oriented goals can get in your way, because if your goal is I want to get to diamond five and then you run into a bunch of bad matchups, you're not you're and you're not getting them and you feel like you failed. If your your goal is I want to I want to learn in Rage Warrior better then the ranks will come with that as you're getting better. And then that's more of a, of a marker of like how well you're progressing towards your goal as opposed to the end state. And that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, it's, I don't think I could have said it better. It's got to focus on the real goal is, is self-improvement. A real goal is not the rank that I'm achieving, but how it feels to get there, uh, how many games I play along the way, uh, how long it takes me to acclimate to a new deck there are, so many different indicators. Rank is the least important one. I would even argue under the new rank system that your actual rank is your multiplier, but that's neither here nor there either. It's a different topic. But it's if you focus in on a specific win or loss as opposed to how you were approaching the game, it's just not going to be healthy. There's just not really a way to do it. And 
this also includes the, your personal approach to randomness. Because if you do not like randomness in games, Hearthstone is not for you. And there, there's going to be randomness. It's not responsible for all of your losses. It's not responsible for none of your losses. I've said this many times as well, but you have to take just the right amount of responsibility. Because you probably could have done something better in every game you played. And there was probably a random outcome in, in most games you played, if not all of them. And if you blame yourself too much for that, if you say, oh, yes, they won from this randomly generated thing, I, if you lose to a Yogg box for 26 and you drew last on turn two, you didn't lose because you drew last. You lost because you got Yogg boxed. It happens. But if there was a game where your opponent won with a lackey at the end, but you misordered your skipper turn on turn six, and it cost you an extra card and a couple points of armor, maybe you had the opportunity for optimization. And it's finding that middle ground. Where should I take responsibility? Where should I absolve myself of it? And the answer here is, is well, you're, it's not about responsibility for games. It's what lesson can I learn from this that will help me win more? Yeah, and, and I mean, like, we have a, you know, on our THL team, we have, we're, we're pretty active in terms of reviewing replays after the games when the person who has played it wants them to be because i mean obviously you're only going to learn when you're in the mindset to learn right and if if somebody's just like gotten a bad loss and they don't want to talk about it then that's fine but we've had some of these some of these games where it's like i've i just got blown out what the hell did i do wrong and we'll end up going down like really low level like turn by turn with screenshots and everything i'm kind of notorious for for posting a book every time that i'm looking at a replay because i'll post screenshots and i'll post detailed turn-by-turn breakdowns and and like we won't always find something like sometimes it's just like yeah there's nothing you could do they got the nuts you 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 didn't draw the cards you needed there's nothing you could do sometimes it's well if you did this then you might have set yourself up better but you were probably losing anyway and then sometimes it's a clear you lost the the turn you lost the game on turn five because you did this instead of that and if you'd done this then you would have had this much damage you would have been able to get over the line and it's you can't learn those things if you're going to write f write off every game where there was a created by card because a lot of games are going to have created by cards and like you do need to take responsibility to try to find something that you can learn from the loss sometimes it's just figuring out which losses you can sort into not completely not my fault but it and and you can uh, generally asking other people to review them will help when you're not sure because you should be able to find like it's very hard to play Hearthstone perfectly, um, and so if you're not finding at least one thing that knowing what you knew at the end of the game that you maybe should have done differently throughout the game, not just on the turn leading up to that, then you might not know what to look for, which is fine, right? Like that's not a criticism. That's just it's hard to understand what to look for if you don't have that kind of experience, and that's when you share those replays and ask somebody else to take a look at them from a detached mindset where they can kind of look at it without any bias and say, no, this is, this is what you, I would have done here. Maybe you would have done this a little bit differently. Maybe this is something that you, you missequenced. You should have done that. And if you don't know that that's a misplay, then you won't catch that on your own. Yeah, and a lot of this as well is you want to kind of surrender to your own imperfections. Um, if you are not willing to look back at your games and reflect and take advice from people that have been where you are before as well, it's going to be really, really hard to improve. It's going to be very difficult to grow as a player if the base assumption is that you know what you should be doing in each matchup already and you're executing it well. Uh, it's, and if posting a replay is not an indication of failure. It's an indication of desire for growth and knowledge transfer. 
don't don't feel bad if you lose a game and you ask for advice or don't feel bad if you win a game and someone says what about this play i'm really really big in my twitch stream on collaboration and this doesn't mean people roll in there and backseat all the time of like do this this and this but it's what if last turn we had done x was it better to do y and there will be times where twitch chat is right and there will be times where I explain a little further and it makes sense. It's a collaborative experience, right? It's us versus the, the problem that this turn presents. Uh, but it's very important to recognize, hey, I probably didn't play perfectly all the time. Uh, a group of people is going to be better at evaluating this. And also some people have more experience than I do. If I am playing Schwal's Disco Zulak and Schwal is in there and says, I would have done this play and I can ask why and get advice, it makes more sense that someone with more experience with a deck will be able to tell me, why a play works and what they would do differently and it would be it, it saves time to listen and it spends time to not yeah, yeah and and it, it helps to be humble too because like if you were if you already knew how to do everything perfectly you'd be a grandmaster and i mean maybe i have a couple of grandmasters who are listening it's possible but uh, you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna assume that i do but uh, you know even and even they can sometimes play better right so like if you if you go into that knowing that you don't necessarily know everything and you can look for things that are wrong and ask other people to look for things that are wrong, it will help you get better faster. Like it's we're we're lucky to have replays in something like this where we don't have to you know like something like like paper magic you can't really do that right like where you would have to be like on stream and have somebody watching it. Um, so you know make take advantage of that like look at your own replays look ask other people look at your replays some things sometimes one thing that you can do if you don't want to do the full replay is if there's a really difficult turn and you're having trouble with it take a screenshot and post that and and just say this is what I did what would you do here and and sometimes that's enough to just kind of help you learn what to be what to be paying attention to and and even go all the way back to the mulligan like we didn't talk about mulligans in the in the execution phase but like even mulligans mulligans is yeah. actually all three yes. of these mulligans is everything so listener whoever you are you are probably mulliganing wrong and by the way i am too we are all mulliganing wrong that is the one thing we all have in common we all mulligan incorrectly it's a very very difficult thing to, per- to perfect it has a very tenuous connection to the game sometimes you have a card and it's great sometimes you draw a card anyways and it's great sometimes you keep a card and it was right to keep it but it doesn't matter in the game you're playing anyway it's really complex and it involves knowing what your plan is knowing when you want to execute that plan what elements are in that plan do you know how to execute it by actually technically playing the cards correctly and are you just keeping a card because you're afraid of something that blew you out last game because you're in a bad headspace it's everything mulliganing is everything yeah, and and I did an episode all on mulliganing. I think it's on number seventy. I put a link to it in the show notes, so you can you can listen to that. But the shortcut for mulligan, at least for for getting better at like the nuts and bolts of mulligans, is asking yourself for each one of these: Do I expect to play this on curve, or is this something that I absolutely a hundred percent need to have in my hand to respond to a threat that that loses me the game on the spot? Which would be like. In, like an Edwin or a questing adventurer from a rogue would be an example of that. Like, do I need to hold a shadow or death because if they play a giant Edwin or giant questing adventurer and I can't answer it, I just lose. Um, but other than that, it's and that doesn't mean that all those cards are cheap, right? Like sometimes you'll hold you'll hold a, a more expensive card. Like you'll hold Dino Tamer Brand sometimes as a Highlander hunter against a priest because you know you're gonna have time and you know you're gonna want to slam it on seven. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's a one-drop or a two-drop, and you don't necessarily want to keep too many one-drops or two-drops either because you can't play them all right away, right? So 
it's it's understanding like what the matchup is and and you get better with that with play experience but just knowing you want to play it on curve you need it to answer an existential threat um one or one of those two things should be true in order for you to mulligan and you can look at the mulligan stats in hs replay do be very careful with those because the very careful yeah very because we've talked about this on, and we've talked about this a few times and it comes up and those are generally okay but be aware of the time frame we're talking about this a day after a set of nerfs a, a major set of nerfs most of the decks have not changed substantially which means that their deck their pages with the data the the time frame on those pages goes back 30 days that's two metas ago so you may want to it may be correct for you to be holding the cards that you're holding against um tempo demon hunter as it was before the nerf and maybe not after so be aware of what you're looking at and how much data you're taking in when you're looking at those pages they can be a good resource and they can be good to kind of help you understand what kinds of things you should be thinking about like if there's something you wouldn't have considered thinking ask yourself why that might be but don't necessarily take it for granted that it's correct because it's not always yeah uh, those mulligan pages are really more useful for newer variants of decks that weren't played before um uh, one of the like the most recent example i can think of when vicious syndicate popularized the uh the enrage build of demon hunter that was kind of a relatively new build and after about three days, we could look on HS Replay. There were enough games, and we could see that the absolute best card to keep in the mulligan was Guardian Og Merchant. Every single match uh, against every opponent, play or draw, didn't matter if he had an enabler. So we started keeping Guardian Og Merchant more than the deck, put up uh, higher numbers in general, as well as like I personally did much better with it, just knowing I'm always supposed to have this activator. It's the one activator I have in the deck. It hits a bunch of things. It's really good. Uh, but if you're looking at... A classic, a de- uh, an egg warrior list. If you're looking at an enrage warrior list, right? If you're looking at the mulligan win rates against priests, and you're mulligan against Galakron priest, but now the most popular version is split priest with mana sabers, it's a different matchup now. It's not the same. And so it's going to be, even using those per class filters, I kind of don't like doing it. I kind of don't trust it. Yeah, I mean, I mean you need to know what you're looking at, and you need to kind of be, be going at it asking a bunch of questions, right? Like, you can't just take it on... I think it's worth... Looking at those, if you're completely unfamiliar, and then trying them and seeing what happens, but also combining that with going back and looking at your replays to see how those things went out. Like if you the in in general, if you lose a game with a card that you kept in the mulligan in your hand, you did something wrong. And then you need to go back and figure out why you kept that card and what what you were keeping it for. Um, And I challenge that. I challenge that. It's usually that's why i said in general if i in general uh i think there's there's value in recognizing that a card can be like i think it's a little bit different in aggressive decks and it's a little bit different in lower curve redundant decks where if you're playing highlander hunter and you keep primordial drake and then you play animal companion on three because you drew it doesn't mean keeping primo drake was wrong for example but it's worth reviewing that, right? Um, like if you and, and if you yes. and if you win that game because you got that ridiculous draw, then it doesn't matter, right? Like then you were fine. If you lose that game because you played Primordial Drake instead of playing the Animal Companion, you 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 held in the Mulligan, then that's something that you need to go and reflect on. I think. 
Because, like, you, yeah. you could still win the game. Yeah, it's, and then, yeah. It's, yeah, worth it's worth looking at. at to see if that was correct to do. Because, like, if the entire point of you keeping keeping a card in the mulligan is saying, this is so important that I don't want to throw this back and try to get something better. And if you ended up not using it, then that was opportunity cost, right? Because you could have got something else in the mulligan that might have helped you win that game if you lost it. And there's such a fine line here as well between keeping this because I might need it or keeping this because of good on-curve play versus the results-oriented thinking of I, I won because I played this on-curve or lost because I never played this card that I kept. It's a really, really fine line, and that's why mulligans are so complicated. We could talk about mulligans for, for a while, for a long time, uh, because it's complicated, because sometimes you keep a card because it's the best you can do right now, and it's not the best thing your deck can do, but like if missing an on-curve play sucks, but then you draw a better on-curve play, should you have kept the card? Maybe. Right. Definitive answer, maybe. So, I don't know. These are, all general, these are all general things that are all confirmed yeah. or denied by going back and looking at your replays and asking other people to look at your replays. So if you're getting nothing yes. else from this episode, it is that you will, you will improve by studying replays and asking other people to look over your replays. Full stop. Like that, you, you, cannot, you cannot improve what you don't measure, and you can't, if you, if you keep making the same plays and not seeing how they're turning out, then you're never going to be able to adjust your patterns. Right. So like there are a lot of generalities that we can put down that are all going to be confirmed um, in, in specific scenarios by reviewing replays with a critical eye. Full stop. Yes. That unequivocally agree. Uh, Hearthstone is has the potential for being the best group project ever. But if you try and do a group project on your own, we all know how much that sucks. Right. And and my Discord is always open. There's a replay review channel. P- make sure to, to ping me and ask me specific. Generally, if you're asking someone to look at a replay, you will get much more uptake if you are asking for something specific, by the way. Like, if you're just saying, what did I do wrong yeah. here? Like, sometimes that's that's okay. Like, if you're just, like, if you're just like saying, well, I, I don't know which direction the truck came from, then, yeah, what did I do wrong is, is appropriate. If you have a 30-term priest mirror... And you're asking, what did I do wrong? Nobody's, nobody's going to have the time for that, right? You want to say, I, I made this play on turn seven. I'm linking to that turn. Is, should I have done this or was there a better play here? Or, you know, was this a misplay? Like those types of more specific questions will get you more engagement than just saying, well, here's a replay. Go take a look at it and tell me what's wrong, right? Because then, then it's, it's also clear from the other people who are in whatever Discord it is that – you're putting the work in and you're you're trying to find a second opinion as opposed to asking somebody else to do the work for you. Yeah, it's... I do think that there is more value in posting than not posting. Yes. But there is also substantially more value in posting with intentionality versus posting out of frustration. Yes. Uh, it's... Because what it's it should be a collaborative process and... There also needs to be some level of awareness. If you are posting saying, I believe that I made mistakes this game, and then other people find the mistakes, that's not a reflection on you. We all make mistakes. Uh, it's, and you're usually going to get replays posted from... If, if a person is more likely to post losing replays if they're looking for assistance and support, and a person is more likely to play winning replays if they have received that support in the past and are not at the state where they need quite as much collaborative review with their game... But that just means a different process in the learning mindset, not a different level of skill. It's not judgment. Yeah. So please, don't feel judged by asking for help. And 
I get help from my Twitch chat every single game I play on stream. Yeah, so do Every I. single game. Yeah. Now, I don't always agree with them, but if you watch Wicked Good Stream, every so often you'll see me in there and it's like, Steve, why didn't we go face? Yeah, that's I, I, that's often a thing. Or, or you know, and, and it's not... Like, sometimes I have the memory of a fruit fly when I'm streaming, and I can't remember what happened last turn. So sometimes I'm not, it's not the best venue for me to... Because, like, very often when I see it, there's a delay because I'm focusing on the game, then I go back to chat, and then I have to try to remember what I did. Yeah. But, you know, even then, that's something that, you know, we can all kind of learn from in terms of trying to improve. And I, I welcome that as long as somebody's not, like, like you know, dictating plays, right? Like, that's that's different. Yeah. But, you know, if we're asking, like, why didn't we do this? Like, that's I'm always happy to, to talk about that. And I'm, I'm wrong a lot when people are saying that. So I go in with the with the impression that I don't know everything about the game either. And and, you and know, streaming is hard. Yeah, it's really hard to keep your attention on all those different things. It's like juggling, um, which I, I have attempted to fix this by getting an additional monitor yet again, which feels like getting better at juggling by adding more balls. It's it's different. <laughs> But, uh, like, looking back at my Monday uh, that I played to, uh, this week, I had a 40% win rate on Monday, and there were multiple very helpful people in chat that's, uh, you know, I was playing some Skipper Warrior because I was, looking back at it, I was, I was a little tilted, a little tilted, and they were giving excellent feedback that I would see after I had finished my turn, and then I flopped back, and it's like, you know what, that's better. And then after a 2-8 and eight run, I played an 80 gold quest, and then Edelweiss gave me a super sweet wild deck that was terrible, and and we both knew it, and we played it just to get out of the system, and then said, let's play better and pick a meta deck that we enjoy, and then we won a few games, and we improved our win rate, and it was all right. But if it weren't for the very helpful people in chat pointing that out, it would have been difficult for me to move out of that mindset. Bad days happen to all of us, uh, and it's it's very easy to get wrapped up in it, even at the level where we are, where we've hit legend double-digit times for multiple years, it's still easy to have a bad day and miss stuff because everybody is learning together. It's a group project. We're all learning. We're all victim to this emotional stuff. In the age of COVID-19, we are all emotionally compromised. There is a lot less patience for the game. There is a lot less patience in general. And it is much easier to get wrapped up in in our hobbies as an outlet because we have so, so few outlets these days. Yeah, and, and and it's it's worth mentioning, and we should probably get off of the mindset stuff for a minute, and then go back to the to the in game stuff. But one other thing that that's really important to keep in mind is that if if you are having a bad day outside of Hearthstone in general, Hearthstone is very likely to improve that. It is. I I, I continue to learn this lesson to this day, and I still don't learn it a hundred percent. That it's. This is a game that requires a lot of clear-headedness and focus, and that is difficult to do when you're tired or when you've had a difficult day or when there are other stressors going on. And there are a lot of them just ambient right now, you know, when when we're recording this. Um, So if you're not 100 percent like in a clear head and a good a good headspace, it's very likely to send you in the wrong direction because you're just playing this to relax and then nothing's going right and nothing's going right because you're not really in a good headspace to be playing the game at that level. So be aware of that. If you are very tired, it's probably not a good time for your legend push. It's it's going to be better if you just like play some tavern brawls or, or jam a few games in wild if you're normally a standard player or vice versa. Or, um, or you know, start start at some battlegrounds or something like that. If you're not somebody who plays like eight thousand MMR or whatever, and, and whenever you're very tired, and you should just ask yourself, am I am I am I like regressing or am I just tired and need to go to sleep? And it's probably the latter. <laughs>
because very very rarely do you just like get worse at this game do you lose a step like sometimes you may not understand the meta correctly and that's that's something you can work on but like very rarely are you just like you know just regressing as a player it's probably that something external to the game is is causing that yeah it's when when i'm in that state i've learned grab my ipad grab a beer switch over to eu and go play some smurf bgs on the couch and that's what i do when i don't want to think about a tavern brawl is great for that single player content um but yeah, it's there are a lot of lot of pitfalls of uh, of playing Hearthstone while emotionally compromised because if you need the game to give you something, it's it's Hearthstone's not going to do that all the time. And sometimes you get a hit, but a, a miss can be devastating. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, like if if you've had a bad day because something unexpectedly bad happened, you really don't want to queue into a mage. <laughs> right because like having yeah. something unexpectedly oh, bad happen to you in the middle of in the game that you're trying to escape uses escapism from whatever's going wrong in your life is is it's not going to work out right like that, that's why i play diablo when i'm in those states because like diablo's just i i think there's a lot less that can go wrong that i can't adjust for and then just you know go feel like i'm king of the world so um but getting back to kind of the the you know the actual like in game planning because like we we started talking about game planning and and turn planning and and I I think that one other thing that you want to be thinking about is not just play, making the first play that goes into your head which kind of goes into playing slower which uh, this is a do as I say not as I do type of thing <laughs> clearly because I'm still trying to get better at this but I don't know what you're talking about Steve yeah. I didn't say anything about you. I, I'm I'm not I'm not casting any aspersions, right. though. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying anything that you would disagree with either. But um, you I'm, know, I'm choosing not to comment at this time because the Fifth uh, Amendment protects me. Fair, fair enough. Um, but like, the one thing that you can do is just like take that play, sit on your hands for a second, and just say, "Okay, I found one play. Let me find another one. Is there a better play?" And then you you can keep doing that, or you can say, "If I have this play, how do they punish it?" What cards do I know are in their deck that they could that could punish this? What cards are they just likely to play? Have they had a random effect that I know something that's going to blow me out? That that's predictable. Like obviously, if they're you know if it's just like a random dragon, you're not going to do that. But if it's something that's a discover or like a, you know a discover from your deck or whatever that they might be likely to have, or they just they just played a mind vision, so you know the few cards that were in your hand at the time, right? Um, like what what would blow that out? But try to find another play, and then it may not be as good, and that's fine. Then you just go with the first play, but at least you've kind of thought about it and tried to find another play as opposed to just taking the first play that came into your head and slamming it down because there might have been something that you couldn't you, – you didn't consider. There might be a slight variant on that play or a halfway play that would protect you against something that just slamming that first play seemed really, really impressive until you think about, oh, wait, I should – I might get blown out by this, and you've pressed end turn, and then you do. Yeah, that's uh, that's the story of – me versus the card swipe for multiple years. <laughs> yeah. I am really, really big on value trading and leaving up a bunch of X ones, and then uh, and then they play swipe, and then all of my stuff dies. Um, yeah, pretend that the first play that instinctively pops in your head is an annoying guy in Twitch chat that you want to ignore, and try and find a play that specifically will piss off that guy because it's the exact opposite, and then explain why it's better to that guy. You have to find a way to avoid playing on instinct. And again, uh, th- this is this is the pot holding up a mirror to the kettle. I don't I don't know whatever euphemism there is to explain of how much I embody this in my streams of slamming cards and playing questionable decks and doing all the things we're telling you not to do. Um, 
because I, when I'm focusing on streaming, I'm not focused on gameplay. Uh, but I'm also not looking to improve quite the same way. And when I am tryharding, I don't look at Twitch chat and I zone in and I vocalize all my thoughts, but it's all about take your time and focus on it and don't switch decks a lot. It's really just a question of what you want out of the game. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of it is the approach you're taking. But I agree, find a second play because there's always multiple options and use your time, as we said, and figure out why you had the instinct that you did, but also what else you could do that might be less intuitive. Yeah. Or, or why would that go wrong, right? Like, what, what could cause that to go wrong? And, and do you need to pay attention to that, right? Like, you can't play around everything. So sometimes the answer is, well, if they have Bran, I lose. Well, can I do anything about it? Well, none of these plays change that, so if they have Bran, I lose. So I'm just going to play as though they don't have Bran. Like, that's, that's what you have to do when you're thinking about that. And sometimes even if there is a way to play around it, sometimes it's not appropriate because if you do that, you're going to take away whatever your damage potential is, and you're going to end up losing the game in the long run. And again, this all comes with experience. But that's yeah. one of the things that you just at least need to be thinking about it as you get more into that habit of thinking about it, then that then when you do get that experience, then you'll be able to apply it and you'll be able to get better. But if you're not if you're not in the hab- building the habit of thinking about things like that, then you're not going to be able to integrate that experience. And, and, and like one simple thing you can do that I've recommended a few times is like go through the Vicious Syndicate meta report when it comes out on Thursday, take every every deck out of it. And either screenshot it or, like, open a tab in a browser and just keep it open. And then go to that when you're playing against that deck. And then at least you have, like, a list of things to worry about. Like, if they play a weird variant, then fine. You got blown out by that, but you're not playing around that anyway. Like, you're not expected to to be telepathic, but you should be playing around things that are likely to happen. More, more likely than not. And, and having the list in front of you, if you're, if you're like me and your brain goes empty when you try to think of what's in your opponent's deck, then having that visual aid in front of you can kind of help you just look at... You don't have to necessarily think about every card that's in their deck, but you know you can look... One thing you can do is just look at, okay, I'm at turn five. What's their best play on turn five? What's the best thing that they can do with five mana? It's this card or this combination of two cards. Okay, do I get blown out by that? If yes, see if there's something that's better that doesn't... I mean, obviously, if it's a significantly worse play, then don't do it. But if they're and and if you do that, at least going into it eyes wide open, this also helps with tilt, because one of the things that can help you is accepting that something can happen and planning for it as opposed to getting blown out by it. And the way that you can stave that off is with preparation. If you know that the blizzard is coming and the only play you have is to play into it, then at least you know, okay, that was going to happen. I did the best I could to play around it. If, you, if you're if you not thinking about that and you trade off, do a bunch of value tr- value trades and then leave it at two, especially if you had another, turn, another way to play around it, then you're going to be pissed at yourself or you're going to be pissed at the blizzard for existing, right? Like you – and – I see people get tilted about people playing cards that are in the deck and that's 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 on you that's not on them right like if you're getting upset because you're getting blown out by a creative card created by card and we're going back to mindset again but it, it all goes back there eventually it's all mindset everything's <laughs> mindset but it, like if you're getting tilted by something that's created by like okay take time to cool off understand that's a trigger if you're getting tilted by them playing a card that was in their deck that you should have accounted for that's your fault for not accounting for it that's your that means that you don't know their deck well enough or you don't know how your deck interacts with their deck well enough and that means that you need to do better on preparation so that you don't make that play again because that is something that you should be prepared for 
Yeah. I'll phrase it a little differently. Not your fault. It is your responsibility. Responsibility. Yes. That's a better yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what I can recommend if we want to get really crazy here, if we're going to get really crazy, if you keep losing to a deck, go play it. Yes. Because there are two options here, right? If you say that deck always seems to have everything, play it. Either one, it doesn't always have everything. You learn how it loses because you will personally experience it. Or two, they do always have everything. Easy legend. Immediately legend. It's, those are the options. Either, either it is as, as crazy good as you think it is, or it's not, and there's a way to beat it, and you'll learn that by getting beaten. And then you get to flip it and say, how do I lose as this deck in this matchup? And then play it from the other side, and you'll know, and then do the thing that you lost to. It's, it's vital. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of people, like, especially with Priest right now, like, and I say this is a Priest main, if you play... Only with Priest now and every other time Priest has been Well, did. yes, but it's different It's different manifestations, right? But, like, if if you're really tilted by Priest, I guarantee you go play Priest. You will, you will lose a lot, especially early on, and you'll learn how to beat it. Because Priest, I guarantee you, does not have all the answers all the time. If it did, I would be at Legend right now, and I'm not. So, so it 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 feels like that because it, you if you don't know what to play around, then you're getting you're getting hit by sucker punches, right? And you can't plan for a sucker punch. You can plan for a jab that's telegraphed, right? So, like knowing the deck and knowing like what kinds of situations are going to be likely to play a card from the other perspective is super valuable. But that's not always an option, right? Like that's and and you know watching streams is kind of a decent substitute for that. But because not everyone has the cards, and I mean, borrow decks is a thing, but that's kind of a time limited depending on the availability of the person who has the deck. But at least, like, you know, watch streams or get an idea of, like, what is it trying to do and, and how does it approach these kinds of turns? And then you can kind of get a better idea of, like, what you should be doing to try to play around those things. It, it's, it's really, like, borrow decks is great if you, if you can co-op with someone, but time is difficult to come by. But I do agree, it, it's if you have the opportunity to play the deck, then do it. But streams are, streams are helpful, too. Um, and there are a lot of streamers out there that don't win every game. If you go and watch, if you go and watch Jambre or Boar Control, of the people that just make decks and randomly win with them, they will make decks look a lot better, and you will think, how do they lose? They're really, really good players. Really, really great players. There are plenty of streams where there are other people that are great players, where maybe they have bad days with a deck, or maybe they, just, they run into bad matchups, or there are streams with people that are just at a different level in their Hearthstone careers uh, that are maybe floating around top 1,000 or top 5,000 legend that maybe just they don't, they don't have the same level of, in, of skill, talent, accomplishment, and, and time commitment that grandmaster level players do. And you can watch them have good and bad days. You can watch them have up, ups and downs. This is what my stream looks like a lot of the time. I will absolutely have ups and downs. You can watch people experience the same things that you do and see how they work through it with decks that you're playing or decks that you're playing against. Yeah, and and tournament streams are good too because if you have and not yeah. all casters are equal, um, the casters who are good will be putting their themselves in the heads of the players and and kind of explaining what they're thinking about and what or what they're concerned about. Um, like some of them will just kind of will will do a podcast that happens to have a game behind it. Um, but the ones that are good at explaining those types of things are very good for like learning for pointing out things that may not be obvious right and and kind of pointing out like what the game plan is and what the state is and what that person's thinking about and what they're and and identifying like what their potential turns are and what the ups what the pros and cons of them are and and that will kind of help you get better at those things too um tournament streams if with the right casters and i'm not going to say which ones are the right casters but if you dm me i'll tell you um and those will 
and that's what I try to do when I'm doing my casting too. Is I try to I try to make it educational and try to explain like what what the person's thinking about and why they might not want to make this play over that play, or why they made a play that was weird that looked weird, and then try to figure out. It's a fun puzzle when you're casting too. Like just like yeah. why the hell did they do this? Okay, let's think back and try to figure out why they did that because we need to explain this as though we understand what's going on because I wasn't expecting that to happen. So why would they have made that play? And then you start thinking about those types of things and explain that to the audience. And that, that's, that's what a good caster will do. Yep. And I think the casting lineup for the Masters Tour that starts tomorrow is a great yes. group of people that you will want to pay attention to. It's, it's what? It's Gia Derrock. Uh, Lorinda, Sottle, and Raven. Yeah, those are all very good. Those are those are all casters who I would want to explain to me what's happening. Um, those are all the the better ones that are very good about being analytical and and calling things out and and calling out plays like something sometimes calling out misplays, but you know calling out what what is actually happening and and explaining it in a way that can make sense to an audience i think those are all excellent like though that's a that's a, a master's tour i'd be very excited to watch if i was an insomniac <laughs> and it wasn't in the middle of the night but i'm probably going to try to watch at least some of it while it's you know early evening here because it starts at 8 p.m eastern so um, yeah. We'll be able to catch yeah. a little bit before going yeah. to bed, I think. Uh, well, you will. I'll I'll probably be able to catch the. You'll probably day. catch most um, of it, but yeah, I'm on a different sleep schedule uh, than you are. So, that's no, you are on a sleep schedule. Well, fair. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I can yeah. I can set my daughter uh, my daughter's up in front of it because I think they're staying up till five a.m. now, so that's fun. Goodness gracious. Yep. That's nerve twenty twenty. Yeah, that's that's life with teenagers. I'll tell you. Um, oh, so here's one other question for you, Hat. Should um, how often should you be going face? Don't don't you tempt me, Stephen. <laughs> I, it's because the answer in my heart is when your opponent still has one. But okay, so go and face. When should we go face? If you have a reason not to, a good reason, not they have a minion, but if you trade and you generate more damage over time, you have a 1 1 that can go face. If your opponent has a 2 1, you have a 2 2 and a 1 1. Your 2 2 cannot attack, your 1 1 can. If you trade with the 1 1, you lose 1 damage next turn, but you gain 2 next turn, plus 1 damage, right? You trade up so your opponent cannot trade up. However, if you have a bunch of minions on board and you're pushing face damage and your opponent can trade with two of them and they leave like four and you have lethal over two turns if you just attack face every turn, go face. So the reason not to, well, the easiest reason to not go face, your opponent has a taunt. Taunt is cheat. Cannot go face. You must attack the minion with taunt. Unless you, unless you have Kane or a Master Spell or Consume Magic or Zephyrus or whatever. Um... If you have a minion you want to protect, or if you're dead if you don't trade. Uh, and, and, you know, there are things we have in the show notes. Like, if, there's, if you can go face for more damage, and there's a Sethic Veil Weaver in play, kill that. I had an experience uh, where my opponent elected to go face with Shaman against my Druid. They had a 5-mana uh, 4-2, and the box by Knuckles, the 4-2 that attacks, uh, that, that evolves when the weapon attacks. And instead of trading into my exotic mount seller as a druid with eight mana, they went face for four and evolved. Ooh. On my turn, I started the turn with an exotic mount seller in play, and I played two fungal fortunes, followed by five free spells, which generated two Zixors. My opponent started their turn and conceded. Kill the mount seller. Or the Risky Skipper, well, or the Sethic Veil Weaver, or the Questing Adventurer, yeah. 
Um, you know, and, and like against Priest, like if there's something with high health, you might want to consider it anyway, because if it's apotheosis and you can't get rid of it, then you're never, then, then you never win the game or like, uh, you know, something that's going to continue to heal them for more damage than you're doing, like those types of things. But those are, those are the exception. Like you, you will, you will do better if you try to end the game because the game ends if your opponent is out of life and it does not end with who it does. You don't win by having more minions on board. Right. So like you do need to you should be trying to go face as much as you can. This is hard for me to say as a control player, but it is true. Even as a control player, like you do eventually have to end the game and you should be looking for spots even when it's when it's difficult to do that. Um, You know, like like the priest mirrors are won by damage at some point, not necessarily early, but but later on, as you know, the healing gets exhausted, it comes down to fatigue and who's done more face damage. So you, and you, honestly, you know. a lot of the priest mirrors that I've played, which has been a number now that we can put minions in priest, is whoever decides to take more turns off of pressing the Galakron button and just plays their stuff. Yeah. Because I have played a bunch of priest mirrors where I went on turn 12 because my opponent was hyperfixated on filling their hand with priest minions, and I just play them as soon as I have them. And I had five fewer cards in hand, so I only had four cards and they had nine cards. But if you die with nine cards in hand, you don't have any cards in hand. You're dead. You have nothing. So it's... It doesn't mean if you were if you were a priest and you play a, a one mana one two on turn one disciple of Galakrond, your opponent plays a one one. Don't trade, get him. That's not what that means, right? If your deck is more controlling, if you have more removal, if you're looking to maybe take board control in the mid game and you expect early game, I have to trade off on these tokens. I have to control the board. You'll understand if your deck is trying to slow the game down. You're trading. If you're if you're pushing towards a conclusion, then you're going face. But most decks want to push towards a conclusion at some point. With Priest in particular, you can start doing this around turn four or five. If you go Fate Weaver and a Shield of Galakron and your opponent does not have a big board presence, you can probably start thinking about pushing if you know that you can keep the pressure on your opponent. It's, there's a point where it becomes more beneficial to you to push the game towards a conclusion as opposed to a long game. And I think a great example, uh, before, before Meta was nerfed and before Warglaze was nerfed, if you were a Priest and you tried to play the Attrition game against Demon Hunter, you lost every time. Because they always had Skull into damage. Always, always, always. So what you had to do is stick Apotheosis on a minion, but also, once you control the board, before they got to Skull into Ultras you for, for 19 or whatever, kill them. Kill them right now. Yeah, and, and understanding what your opponent's going to do also is important that in that scenario, too, because at, once I figured this out, I realized, and, and playing the deck a little bit helped me, too, Demon Hunters are terrified of Priest Minions, every single one of them, because... They all say, um, turn, turn me into a minion that's plus two, plus three, and lifesteal. So uh, Demon Hunters will often, uh, this is before, would often, against a priest, trade off literally everything from the smallest one to, to a sapphic to everything in between because they were all a threat to completely blow them out, which meant that you could get ahead by just playing out your minions for no value rather than holding them in hero powering, even though hero power and removal sometimes would seem like the better option. But knowing what they want to do, playing out the minions was sometimes better because those minions would end up trading indirectly. They wouldn't be optimal trades, but they'd be trades, which would prevent face damage until the mid-game and would also keep the board under control without having to use those removal spells. The, the, The minions became indirect removal spells that also prevented damage so but again that that takes a lot more experience but just like but that goes down to play your cards too like like understand why you know having stuff on board is generally better than not having stuff on board against a deck like that 
Um, and, and if you just try to remove everything against a deck that has infinite resources, you're, you're just going to run out of removal before they run out of stuff to do. And, and that kind of goes down to, like, understanding just your role in the matchup and, like, how you win and how you lose, right? Like, asking yourself, how do, how do I ever win this? And you'll see both of us on our stream say this a lot. Like, uh, around the mid-game will be like, how do I win this game? Right, because it may not be obvious. Like sometimes it's obvious. You 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 know you play Warglaves and you play two twin slice, twin slice and second slice, and you bash their face in. Like yeah, that's that's easy. But like sometimes it's like okay, well I have an Alexstrasza in my hand, and I've got a couple of minions that I can get down. So the way that I'm going to win is by sticking a board, not not f- doing face damage because I know that I'm an Alex them anyway. But build a board that I can protect, and then slam an Alex, bring them down to fifteen, and then let my minions do the rest. Right. But that's how you kind of have to understand, like, what your deck is good at and how it wants to win. If the if you're playing Druid, the answer is always build a board of crap and have a Savage Roar. Right. So then you start getting into, well, how do I get a board? Well, the first one's definitely going to die because they've been holding removal for it all the all game. The second one's probably going to die because they probably have a second answer, but they may not have an answer for the third and the fourth. They may not have enough time to draw it. So the way that I want to play my boards is I want to play board after board after board after board on successive turns to reduce the the likelihood that they will have a a clean answer for every single one of them. And the one board that they can't answer, Savage Roar hit you in the face, you lose. That so again, understanding like what your role is and how you how you win is very important in order to plan out the rest of your turns because the rest of your turn should be always with that in mind. How does this advance me towards my end state where I win the game? Yeah, it's being aware of what works. There was a game, a, a great example they had of this a couple a uh, couple weeks ago before Galakron was nerfed, where uh, I had a wondrous wand in hand and my opponent had a board of crap. I don't remember if they were Druid or not, but it sounds plausible. I'm going to assume they were, for the sake of the argument. Um, I had a Wondrous One in hand, and a Galakron for one, and I was on seven mana. And I, w- I was about to slam the Galakron for, or, or the, uh, the Wondrous Wand, and I said, wait a minute, how do I win this game? The only out I have is if the top card of my deck is, deck is Kronks, and I play the, uh, the Galakron. Because I had a Flick in hand already, it wasn't going to clear everything. I needed to clear the board. The only out in my entire deck was an active Kronks. If I play Wand and Gala's in my hand, Kronks is not active. So, slam the Gala, top card was Kronks, won the game. There have been many other times where it was not the Kronks. But just being aware of what your out is, just being aware of knowing where do I need to go, and this all comes with the knowledge of learning, of being a student of the game, of knowing your game plan. It comes with the technical execution of making sure you play the right card in the right order and that you set yourself up for it. And it all comes with the mindset of being in a place where you can reflect on how you've played in the past, how you're going to play in the future, playing to your outs, being okay if you don't get there, but understanding this is the choice that I have to make and, uh, and living with the consequence. Yeah, and, and, and you're not going to get to that place if you're, if you're in a, in a, having a pity party for yourself about how they drew everything perfectly and they got all the good RNG rolls and you're not getting the good RNG rolls. And, and I say that as somebody who, who is a pity party planner at times. Um, but you know, like, so I'm not perfect at this either, but the, when you're in that mindset, when you're wasting that mental energy on feeling bad for yourself, as opposed to thinking, okay, this sucks. How do I get out of it? And 
that, you know, and, and understanding like that example is like, that's where you're willing to take a risk because if it doesn't pan out, you're losing anyway. So you may as well try to plan it and play like look for a different play that, that maybe is high risk, high reward. And then it just happens to work out that way. Like I, in that game where I puzzle box for 26, I was staving off lethal for a couple turns. And my, my whole game plan was get to turn six at the time. Cause it was pre nerf slam a dragon caster, get a puzzle box and then figure it out from there. And that that was the way that I won, and it turned out that figuring out from there was attacking face with the four le- four damage that was left over from the um, heroic strike. But like that's and then everything is just like live to turn six, so I can puzzle box, and then we'll figure it out from there. So just kind of coming out with a game plan and then working, you know, very often the way that you can figure out like a, a mid game game plan or like a short term game plan is like, okay, I know I want to do this on this turn. So what do I have to do on the next couple of turns in order to set that up? It may be clearing the board. It may be that you play um, one card instead of another card because you're not going to have the mana for that card with the with the approach that you're taking, or you're not going to have hand space in your hand for, for that approach. But just kind of working back from you want to do X on a certain turn because that's how you're going to advance your game plan, and then working back from there is a really good way to start like getting better at building game plans in the middle of the game. I like that. Yeah. What else? I know we we kind of have a bunch of notes and we kind of bounced around because that's just how we're gonna how we're gonna be. Um, what it? I mean, we've kind of talked about the being the beatdown or not indirectly. I don't know if we need to go into it more. I mean that that who's the beatdown article is something. If you've never read it, go read it. Um, it it's pretty critical. It's magic focused, but everything translates pretty well to Hearthstone. Um, in terms of like you know understand understanding like what your role is in the game and like how you should be approaching your turns generally the the, the short version is that one player in all times the beat down and they should be going face and and playing aggressively and the other one is the control who's behind and they need to be um you know kind of staving the opponent off until they can find a swing turn and then and then flip things and then become the beat down ideally unless they're a pure like attrition deck in which case they should just be um you know like the goalie slapping aside pucks yeah Basically, at all times, one player is happier if the game goes less frequently. Or at, one player is happier if the game goes shorter, if it ends sooner, and one player is happier if the game goes longer. Uh, so if you are, say, Demon Hunter versus Priests at the beginning of the game, you are much happier if the game is shorter. But then if you lose the board, suddenly you want the game to go longer. You want time to top deck your skull so you can turn the board around. And if you're the Priest and you've stabilized... And you have stuck a couple minions. You have Breath of the Infinite, their uh, their giant board of satyrs. You're at ten life or so, uh, and you are going to start the turn by apotheosizing a minion. You are much happier if the game ends a few turns after that. So, who wants the game to end sooner? That should dictate your behavior. Oh. Um, but yeah, I think we covered that mostly. And depending on how many fundamental topics we get into, this could be a six hour like this could be a happy yeah. Hearthstone review of mechanics versus cards. Uh, it, it's there's so much to get into into as far as nuts and bolts. It's really like how do you approach all of these things on a high level that really starts each person's personal improvement journey. Yeah, and, and I guess the only other thing that we didn't talk about that we can touch on very briefly because that's a whole other show is just we we've talked about using data responsibly. I probably have a few links that oh I can boy. throw. I'm, we're not doing it now because we we've talked about it at length on other episodes, and I'll try to find links for those. Um, but the, okay, wait, I have something for this. Okay, go I ahead. Have something okay, for go this. ahead. There's a ton of data out there. If you are not working on one of the three things we talked about in this episode and you are focusing instead on data, it is the wrong use of your time. If you are not working on your execution, not reviewing your replays, and not focusing on mindset, data is the least helpful place you can dial in. Yeah. 
It, it's it's um, yeah, it's not going to help you unless you're using it. If you're using it expecting it to give you an answer, you're going to be disappointed. If you're using it to yes. answer a question, then sure. then you're going to be you're going to be much better off. If the question is how did I why did I lose this game or the question is should I be playing this deck or is the meta not suited for it? Right? Then then those are questions that you should be trying to answer with data. If if the what you're expecting it is is to say, give me the deck that will win me all the games going up to Legend, that deck doesn't exist. Like, you can pour through HS Replay and try to find, like, the Meta Breaker deck, but generally, there it just doesn't exist. And any of the decks that are Tier 2 or higher are probably fine to play, as long as you're learning them and you're you're learning what's good and, and recognizing when things are turning against you. But it like you should be using the meta reports to make sure you're not bringing a knife to a gunfight. But if you're expecting that you're going to play the best deck and then you're just going to win all your games and then get upset because you're not winning with the best deck. Well, guess what? It may not be the best deck for you. It may not be the best deck for right this second. And you may not know how to play it optimally, and it's not going to be the best deck in your hands right now. And that's okay if you're going into it with the mindset that you're going to learn it better. But if you're if you're not learning it, and then you're just getting tilted because you're playing the best deck, and why am I not winning? Because you know things aren't handed to you, and you need to work for it ultimately. And and it's your own, on your responsibility to learn all those things and pay attention to all those things. And and the deck, the collection of thirty cards is not going to just carry you over to legend like like a, like a boat on a on a wave, right? Like you need to paddle, and and paddling is is learning the deck and learn and making sure you're focusing on on your mechanics. Yeah, it's uh, I I like I love data. You love data. We we both love data. Your job is data. My my hobby is data. No, well, your job and your hobby are data. Yeah. Um, but it, it's the use case here. It's people see really, really high level players using data to get those last couple extra percentage points in their game. If you emulate that behavior without having the rest of your game filled in, it's just like it's it's filling in the wrong holes. Uh, and I don't mean to say data is bad because it's not. It's wonderful. It's great. It can also be used for evil and also can be misleading. Uh, but it's it's meant to help optimize pre-existing knowledge, uh, and it can help guide players, but it's not, it's not the thing for most people to work on for the biggest, fastest improvement in their game. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'll just tell one quick story to, to kind of put a point on this, and then we can probably wrap up because we're, we're already going close to two hours, which is, you know, the expected time for the two of us to, to talk. It's like the minimum acceptable amount of time for the two of us to talk in front of microphones, but... Um, but like what like we started this is what my third season on on the THL team this that we just wrapped up and like the f- and and the first season was a just a freaking disaster and and I was like saying I you know like like I was I was upset with myself and it was it didn't go well but in in retrospect one of the things that I would do because I am a data guy and I would look over the matchups and I love building lineups right like I love looking at data and trying to figure out optimal lineups but what I would end up doing was going too far and like trying to find the perfect decks that were like way off meta and um and, and like they were counter this but I wasn't comfortable with them and uh, or they were like way off meta and they get blown out by a lot of other things and I would bring these wacky lineups and I would lose and then eventually I just started leaning on playing decks that I was comfortable with and having enough decks that I was comfortable with that I could swap out a few of them to try to improve my my 
matchups by a couple of percentage points here and there, but not going so far out of the way that I was I was kind of leaving myself at a disadvantage because I wasn't experienced enough with the deck or, or or I was playing something that was really weird and just not good. And once I started doing that, my my results got a lot better because I was playing decks that I was comfortable with, which is more important really than anything that any any amount of matchup percentages will go with. And, and I learned this from from our friend Zoroshio who's on the team who I would spend week after week trying to convince him not to play um, not to play Holy Wrath Paladin. And then he just eventually said, look, I know the deck. I can beat anything. So I'm going to play it. And he was right. And he did. And and so at a certain point, like the stats are a generalization, but they're not going to be your experience. And so you need to make sure that you're not treating them as a Bible, but more as just like an indication that you're, um, you know, that that you're on the right track or not and, and guiding you in the right direction. But don't let it dictate and don't let it don't let it get you down if your results are not the same as as what the data say the expected result should be, because sometimes people are different. Roshio and Holy Wrath Pal to name a more iconic duo. I never understood the deck that well, and he will tell you himself he got lucky. There was a particular game he played on stream, 13 cards left in deck, fire off two Holy Wrath, 27 the opponent. I I would not have won that game because I wouldn't have realized that was my only out. And sometimes you set yourself to to get lucky. But I think this is a great a great example to close out the show. Because Steve, the your three seasons in THL, your first season, two and five. That was the I worry I'm holding back the team season. Right. Your last season, four and four, a little bit more comfortable, brought decks that aligned more with what you were doing. The most recent season, six and three. You played what, what you liked. You played what was good for you. You built your lineup around the idea of what you wanted to play, but you didn't go all the way out and say, I'm going to play what the math says as opposed to I'm going to play what I want to play. Right. Uh, and I cannot think of a better example of saying how to get better of play for comfort and then step outside your comfort zone sometimes, but don't live outside of it and don't live only inside of it. It's all about being right on that line and taking risks and experiencing novelty, but not going too far off the reservation. Yeah, and, and just go with it. In general, you should be trying to learn something from every game if you can. And if you're not yes. in a position where you're going to be able to integrate that feedback, then you, you need to understand that your results are not going to be there and let that decide whether you're going to actually play on ladder that day. I mean, you do need to get over that at some point because if you don't ever press the button, you're never going to improve. But you, if you're not trying to learn and you're not getting something out of every game and you're not always going to be in that mindset, then you're, don't expect that, you're impro- that your results are going to improve. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I just have flashbacks to all the time I've tried to make Dirtle Rogue work. Yeah. It never worked. Or, or Spellstone Shaman. That, that, mm. was, uh, that was my bugbear, Spellstone Shaman, because I, I was convinced that that card was good. It was not. <laughs> it was not. It was not I good. Did lose, I did lose in Wild today to the Warrior Spellstone. I will point that out. But oh. it was a very goofy game. That's, that sounds like, a, like something you should be clipping and putting on your new YouTube channel, which, speaking of... Um, well, it's it's really new right <laughs> now. It's all the videos are still unlisted. I am working on it, but I am not doing time commitments because if I do come out time commitments, I will either be pressured or I will miss them or both. Um, but yes, why don't we talk about? Well, guess where we can find yeah. it? Uh, find ourselves. Yeah. Find where can we find? People? Where can we find um, you? Where can people who have just now been introduced to Ridiculous Hat find all of his content that he is creating on a regular basis? 
best place to go is twitter.com slash ridiculous hat or uh, the coin conceit discord discord.coinconceit.com uh, I do the coin conceit podcast at coinconceit.com I do the vicious syndicate podcast at vicious syndicate.com I stream Monday through Friday twitch.tv slash ridiculous hat uh, and soon there will be a YouTube channel not yet but it's coming it's coming once I optimize that process and I don't try and add more time to my day because that's there's just it's uh, something has to go away I have to figure out where that space is um, but I'm going to be working on trying to get Uh, A game a day, or at least, like, I might start with three videos a week, but I'm going to try and get for a video at least five days a week. We'll see where that goes. Um, Try and see what this content creator thing is all about. Um, And you can also find me in pretty much any other Hearthstone Discord, uh, pretty much anywhere Steve is. So, Steve, where can we find you? Yeah, so um, you can find the show notes with, we've got a bunch of links in this week's episode um, to different episodes of both of our podcasts and other, other other resources at offcurve.com offcurve.com slash masters tours where you can go find all the data for masters Tour qualifiers and masters tour events like the masters Tour Asia pacific online which is this week if you're listening to this as it's being released i'm going to try to get this out tonight but it might be up tomorrow um as we're recording this but it should be it masters tour should be going on by the time you're hearing this um you can uh subscribe to the twitter feed at off curve if you just want announcements for when new episodes go live you can follow me on twitter at wicked good for that and a whole lot more and probably some ranting about politics occasionally um and but i not i try not too much but it happens um you can uh follow me on twitch at twitch.tv slash wicked good fm or just twitch.offcurve.com mondays and thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, though I may I may be tweaking the Thursday start time a little bit to try to not overlap with the Coin Conceit live stream as much. I'm thinking about that, so hopefully that would be um, ideal because I know we have a lot of a lot of viewers in common, and and it's probably not not ideal the time that I'm streaming. So I'm trying to figure that out, uh, but definitely Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern and Thursday nights uh, 8 ish Eastern, maybe changing a little bit. Um, you can join the Discord at discord.offcurve.com. Hat is in there. I'm in there. A lot of other great folks are in there um, discussing all manner of things, and it's generally a pretty positive place to be. And a lot of people who are also um, inclined towards self-improvement, if that's something that you are looking for, it's a great place to uh, to go and post replays, among other things. And um, leave a review in Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. And I think that's it. So any, any parting words of wisdom, Hat, before we let these people go? That's – I – Always happy to be here on Off Curve and, and have our little therapy sessions. Um, be kind to yourself when you're playing. Uh, if you're playing if you're playing Hearthstone to obtain a specific result, it's going to feel bad sometimes when you don't get there. But if you're playing it to learn and grow and connect with other people, I don't think there's a, there's a better game community out there. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that even when the game is not what we would like it to be, the, the community is always there and the community is... is a good reason to be engaged. So, um, so yeah, just come join, come join the Discord and be part of that if you haven't already. Um, we'll talk soon. Hat, we'll see you back in a couple weeks once we have a new a new set for uh, a lot of deck discussions. And um, yes. and be good to each other. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Bye.